I'm Deacon Frederick Bartels. As you know, we're living in unprecedented times. As Bishop Athanasius Schneider notes, the Catholic faithful have been forcibly separated from the holy sacrifice of the Mass, from their shepherds, in publicly worshiping God. This has been implemented under the threat of COVID-19 by politicians and government authorities. Given that the virus does require a prudent response, it's nevertheless shocking, in many ways, how quickly the right to the free exercise of religion has been removed in many places around the world, albeit temporarily. When news of the virus broke, it was often the case that public worship was banned well before social gatherings, while Mass was closed Bars and restaurants remained open for a time. While people are asked to stay home unless travel is essential, Planned Parenthood continues to abort children in most states. While our leaders claim to be concerned about everyone's health, they're not concerned about murdering children, at least not all of them. To be honest, I think there's more to this story than most people realize. Some experts are noting that there's been a disproportionate response to the virus. It's thought that the ratio between those who were stricken by it and its fatalities are distorted by reliance on faulty statistics. For instance, the virus was reported by the Communist Chinese to have been discovered in Wuhan on November 17th. It was likely there much earlier. Given the numbers of people and their frequency of travel between China and the U.S., it's probably been in the U.S. since December. That means many people have already had it and recovered. Most people who become ill don't seek medical attention because they associate it with the common flu virus. This means that many people were untested. Many of the infections aren't factored against the fatality rate. The only deaths counted are from those people known to be infected with COVID-19. Those known to be infected are only those who get tested for it, usually at the hospital after they're suffering severe symptoms. But there are many people who suffer only mild symptoms, if any. These people go untested and uncounted. Daniel Horowitz writes, Knowing when the virus began and what we think occurred in January and February, and perhaps even in December in the U.S., will help determine not only how severe this virus is, but how far along we are into the epidemic. If we really had hundreds of thousands, if not millions of cases, along with several thousand more fatalities prior to testing, that would mean that the mortality rate is even lower than the 1.2% post-testing average so far. It would also mean we are farther along in the epidemic and that many have already been exposed to it, thereby making a categorical and nationwide lockdown counterintuitive at this point, end quote. I could talk about my fears. I could mention how there might be something much worse going on here in the dark undercurrents of the secularist minds who are wielding power and making decisions. Some people are asking if our state of affairs is linked to a socialist experiment. Is this a power move to see just how significantly people's freedoms can be removed without a reaction? Is threat of the virus a pretext for moving nearer to a one-world government? These are some of the concerns people have. Given that people believe COVID-19 poses a severe threat, 
many think the government's restrictions are simply there for our best interest. I'd like to believe that. But are they? Or at least some of them aim, are at least some of them aimed at something else? I'm not going to speculate further. Time will tell. Today I was listening to Dr. Taylor Marshall. Noting the sanctions on attending Mass, he said that as far as he knew, nothing like this has happened since the time before Emperor Constantine. I agree. Once Constantine issued his Edict of Milan in 313, which provided for permitting Christians to publicly practice their faith without threat of imperial persecution, Catholics have generally attended the Mass. Of course, there have been situations in communist countries where Mass was forbidden and religion crushed, but today attendance at Mass is forbidden to some extent, if not entirely, in several countries around the world. Then there's the whole question of COVID-19 and providence. People are asking if it could be sent as a type of chastisement, as a plague from God in retribution for sin and in order to move people to repentance. It could be. That approach harmonizes with one of the main themes of the Old Testament and the many warnings of the prophets. All we need do to back up this view is read Exodus 9.14 as one passage among many. Exodus 9.14 is in the context of God sending plagues upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Here's what it says. For this time I will send all my plagues upon your heart, and upon your servants and your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. End quote. Scripture is clear on the fact that God can send plagues in retribution for sin. In this case, it's in retribution for idolatry and imprisoning his people in slavery, to alert the Egyptians to the fact that God is God, the sovereign creator, to move them toward repentance and humility, dependence on God, and obedience to him. I know, lots of people will disagree. They can't imagine how God could punish anyone for anything. They view God to be the same kind of permissive parent found so common today. However, God is a father, and a father who loves his children disciplines them lest they become spoiled and self-centered and lost. Perhaps we become all too comfortable in an era of watered-down faith, in a divine teddy bear God, to be open to these kinds of truths. Perhaps this biblical teaching, which is God's infallible and inerrant word, is difficult to accept because we've all too often accepted contemporary culture's warped views of God, driven as they are by those who are enemies of God. We live in an age of sexual immorality, in an age of moral permissiveness and false tolerance. It's hardly surprising that people project their own lax moral views onto God. In Exodus 32, we read about the infamous golden calf worship by the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai. Here's what God said to Moses about it. I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. End quote. If we look at the story of the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3, it's clear that physical death and physical evils that can cause death are tied to original sin, that sin of disobedience committed by our first human parents, Adam and Eve. Their sin cast a whole host of serious problems onto human nature, one of which was death. It must be acknowledged that 
As Bishop Raymond Burke has noted, when we think of the suffering we're enduring, we can't overlook the sins of our nation and other nations around the world, these sins we're embroiled in. These sins call for divine correction. They cry out to God for vengeance. I'm thinking here of the millions and millions of children who are aborted. I'm thinking of the legalization of same-sex marriage and the sexual depravity of Sodom and Gomorrah and its subsequent destruction by God. I'm thinking of the normalization of cohabitation, which is fornication. I'm thinking of the rampant prevalence of divorce and remarriage, which Christ calls adultery. I'm thinking of transgender ideology's blatant attack on the human person created by God as male or female. Contemporary gender theories are a rebellion against the divinely willed and established created order. They are a rebellion against God. What do we find in the New Testament about sin and its consequences? Better yet, what does the Lord Jesus teach? He teaches that sin brings punishment. There are many examples. One that comes to mind is found in Luke's Gospel. Quote, There were some present at that very time who told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans, because they suffered thus? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. End quote. However, sin does not always bring direct punishment for the individual. In John's Gospel, Jesus teaches that physical evils like blindness are not always due to personal sin. They are permitted by God for a good purpose, such as to give glory to God and His works. In other words, God brings good from them. In John's Gospel, we read, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. End quote. In this case, the man's blindness becomes for Christ a moment in which he manifests his divinity and love. It becomes a moment of salvation in which people turn to Jesus as the sovereign Lord who restores and heals. Having said all of that, God's providence, His rule and governance over all things throughout all time is mysterious and infinitely above the scope of our minds. We cannot know precisely what God's purpose is in allowing physical evils or sending punishment for sin. Therefore, we cannot foresee all the ramifications with their far-reaching implications for such things as COVID-19. We cannot say definitively that God is punishing this or that sin. We cannot presume to know the mind of God. What we do know is that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Romans 8.28 The operative phrase here is, those who love God. All things work for the good of those who love God. It's essential that we pray daily that God increase our faith. It's crucial that we repent daily of our sins because once death occurs, 
Repentance is no longer possible. It is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment. Hebrews 9.27 Bishop Athanasius Schneider observed that COVID-19 poses a trial from which the faithful will emerge all the better and stronger. This is another way of saying God will bring good from this in the lives of those who have entrusted themselves to Christ. The good bishop wrote what is a theological explanation of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's so spot on, so important, so revealing that I want to read it to you. It's titled, We Glory in Tribulations, Living the Faith When Public Worship is Prohibited. Quote, Millions of Catholics in the so-called free Western world will, in the coming weeks or even months, and especially during Holy Week and Easter, the culmination of the entire liturgical year, be deprived of any public acts of worship due to both civic and ecclesiastical reactions to the outbreak of coronavirus. The most painful and distressing of these is the deprivation of Holy Mass and sacramental Holy Communion. The current atmosphere of an almost planetary panic is continuously fueled by the universally proclaimed dogma of the new coronavirus pandemic. The drastic and disproportionate security measures, with the denial of fundamental human rights of freedom of movement, freedom of assembly, and freedom of opinion, appear almost globally orchestrated along a precise plan. Thus, the entire human race becomes a kind of prisoner of a world sanitary dictatorship, which for its part also reveals itself as a political dictatorship. An important side effect of this new sanitary dictatorship that is spreading throughout the world is the growing and uncompromising ban on all forms of public worship. Beginning on March 16, 2020, the German government issued a ban on all forms of public religious gatherings for all religions. Such a drastic measure of strict prohibition of all forms of public worship was unimaginable even during the Third Reich. Before these measures were taken in Germany, a governmentally ordered prohibition of any public worship was implemented in Italy and Rome, the heart of Catholicism and of Christianity. The current situation of the prohibition of public worship in Rome brings the Church back to the time of an analogous prohibition issued by the pagan Roman emperors in the first centuries. Clerics who dared to celebrate Holy Mass in the presence of the faithful in such circumstances could be punished or put in prison. The world's sanitary dictatorship has created a situation which breathes the air of the catacombs, of a persecuted church, of an underground church, especially in Rome. Pope Francis, who on March 15th, with lonely and halting steps, walked through the deserted streets of Rome on his pilgrimage from the image of the Salus Populi Romani in the church of Santa Maria Maggiore to the miraculous cross in the church of San Marcello, conveyed an apocalyptic image. It was reminiscent of the following description of the third part of the secret of Fatima, revealed on July 13, 1917. The Holy Father passed through a big city half in ruins and half trembling with halting step, afflicted with pain and sorrow. How should Catholics react and behave in such a situation? We have to accept this situation from the hands of divine providence as a trial, which will bring us a greater spiritual benefit than if we had not experienced such a situation. One can understand this situation as a divine intervention in the current unprecedented crisis of the Church. 
God uses now the merciless world's sanitary dictatorship to purify the church, to awaken the responsible in the church, and in first place the Pope and the Episcopate, from the illusion of a nice modern world, from the temptation to flirt with the world, from the immersion in temporal and earthly things. The powers of this world have now forcibly separated the faithful from their shepherds. The clergy is ordered by governments to celebrate liturgy without the people. This current purifying divine intervention has the power to show all of us what is truly essential in the Church, the Eucharistic sacrifice of Christ with His body and blood, and the eternal salvation of immortal souls. May those in the Church who are unexpectedly and suddenly deprived of what is central start to see and appreciate its value more deeply. In spite of the painful situation of being deprived of Holy Mass and Holy Communion, Catholics should not yield to frustration or melancholy. They should accept this trial as an occasion of abundant graces, which divine providence has prepared for them. Many Catholics have now in some way the chance to experience the situation of the catacombs, of the underground church. One can hope that such a situation will produce the new spiritual fruits of confessors of faith and of holiness. This situation forces Catholic families to experience literally the meaning of a domestic church. In the absence of the possibility to assist at Holy Mass even on Sundays, Catholic parents should gather their families in their homes. They could assist in their homes at a Holy Mass broadcast on television or the Internet. Or, if this is not possible, they should dedicate a holy hour of prayers to sanctify the day of the Lord and to unite themselves spiritually with the Holy Masses celebrated by priests behind closed doors, even in their towns or in their vicinity. Such a Sunday holy hour of a domestic church could be done, for instance, in the following way. Prayer of the Rosary, reading of the Sunday Gospel, act of contrition, act of spiritual communion, litany, prayer for all who suffer and die, for all who are persecuted, prayer for the Pope and the priests, prayer for the end of the current physical and spiritual epidemic, the Catholic family should also pray the Stations of the Cross on Fridays of Lent. Furthermore, on Sundays, parents could gather their children in the afternoon or in the evening to read to them from the lives of the saints, especially those stories drawn from times of persecution of the Church. I had the privilege to have lived such an experience in my childhood, and that gave me the foundation of the Catholic faith for my entire life. Catholics who are now deprived of assisting at Holy Mass and receiving sacramentally Holy Communion, perhaps only for a short time of some weeks or months, may think about these times of persecution, where faithful for years couldn't assist at Holy Mass and receive other sacraments, as was the case, for instance, during the communist persecution in many places of the Soviet Empire. Let the following words of God strengthen all Catholics who are currently suffering from being deprived of the Holy Mass and Holy Communion. 1 Peter 4, 12-13 Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort 
with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 The trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. In the time of a cruel persecution of the church, St. Cyprian of Carthage, AD 258, gave the following edifying teaching on the value of patience. It is patience which firmly fortifies the foundations of our faith. It is this which lifts up on high the increase of our hope. It is this which directs our doing, that we may hold fast the way of Christ while we walk by his presence, his patience. How great is the Lord Jesus, and how great is his patience! That he who is adored in heaven is not yet avenged on earth. Let us, beloved brethren, consider his patience in our persecutions and sufferings. Let us give an obedience full of expectation to his advent. We want to pray with all our trust to the Mother of the Church, invoking the intercessory power of her Immaculate Heart, that the current situation of being deprived of the Holy Mass may bring abundant spiritual fruits for the true renewal of the Church after decades of the night of persecution of true Catholics, clergy, and faithful that has happened inside the Church. Let us hear the following inspiring words of St. Cyprian. If the cause of disaster is recognized, there is at once found a remedy for the wound. The Lord has desired his family to be proved. And because a long peace had corrupted the discipline that had been divinely delivered to us, the heavenly rebuke has aroused our faith, which was giving way, and I had almost said slumbering. And although we deserved more for our sins, yet the most merciful Lord has so moderated all things that all which has happened has rather seemed a trial than a persecution. God grant that this short trial of the deprivation of public worship and Holy Mass is still in the heart of the Pope and the bishops a new apostolic zeal for the perennial spiritual treasures which were divinely entrusted to them, that is, the zeal for the glory and honor of God, for the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and his redeeming sacrifice, for the centrality of the Eucharist and its sacred and sublime manner of celebration, for the greatest glory of the Eucharistic body of Christ, the zeal for the salvation of the immortal souls, for a chaste and apostolic-minded clergy. May we listen to the following encouraging words of St. Cyprian. Praises must be given to God, and his benefits and gifts must be celebrated with giving of thanks. Although even in the time of persecution, our voice has not ceased to give thanks. For not even an enemy has so much power as to prevent us, who love the Lord with our whole heart and life and strength, from declaring his blessings and praises always and everywhere with glory. The day earnestly desired by the prayers of all has come, and after the dreadful and loathsome darkness of a long night, the world has shone forth, irradiated by the light of the Lord. This given on March 19th, 2020, by Athanasius Schneider, Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of St. Mary, Nistanza. <laughs>